Welcome to the Nerd Stalgic Podcast with your host, the Ginger Howdy folks, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nerd Stagic Podcast with me, your host Luke. Hope you're all doing well, hope you're all good, as per usual. Um, today's episode is going to be a bit different. I'm going to be returning to my roots. What I mean by that is um, I'm going to do a bit of a story time first, and then we're going to get into it. But before I do, before I do, got to do a bit of busyness first. Uh, so today's business is the same business it's been for past couple of weeks now um but for anybody who's new to the channel or anybody who um listens to the older episodes you will know that this episode uh, well this show and this episode is sponsored by world of books uh the lovely people at world of books has given me a fantastic deal a 10 percent off code for you folks at home to um save some money on your uh, purchases. So using the code NERDY10, that's N-E-R-D-Y-10, all higher case at checkout, that'll bag you 10% off all of your shopping. Um, World of Books, uh, they primarily do a lot of books. They save a lot of books from landfills, charity shops, that sort of thing. But they also sell video games on there, retro and new. You can find the likes of PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, goes far as Xbox and Xbox 360, PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox Series X. The list is endless. They do vinyls on there as well if you're looking for some vinyl um, records that you can't find. So get on there now. This code is available from today till the end of the year. So jump on it. That's Nerdy10 at checkout and save yourself 10% off. And thank you, World of Books, for sponsoring uh, this episode and the show. So as I've mentioned, um, I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to my form. As I said, I'm going to tell a bit of a story. Um, for anybody who, as, as I mentioned, you know, if this is the first time listening to the show, welcome. Thank you. Um, for anybody who's been a listener from the beginning will know that um, originally, before I started doing podcasting, I was a book reviewer. I still technically am a book reviewer, to be honest. Um, not professionally. Like, I wasn't paid for it. I did have a few companies reach out to me, like Titan Books, for example, and they would send me books in return of an honest review. So I'd get the book for free. Uh, it'd be a pre-release copy and I would review it by a set date. And then I would post that on the release of the book. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed it. I don't do it as much as uh, mainly because I don't have free time, not because of the podcast. I ended up having to decline a lot of the, the books that I was offered because I just didn't have the room for them. Um, my bedroom, it's huge, but it's not very big when you actually look at how many books I own and how many books I've read and how many books I need to read. And the, the amount of books I need to read is a lot more than the books I've read, if that makes sense. Um, so I had to decline it. And obviously, as time's gone on, um, I, I did sort of bookstagram, on which was on Instagram, which is where basic thing you read a book you take a photo with yourself with the book and then below it in the sort of section below that the, the bio or whatever um you would write your review and then you write your synopsis and your thoughts and your ratings at the end and i've done that for years since like 2018 um and then obviously time went on 
looking for new hobbies during lockdown and then I discovered podcasting and I spent about two years researching podcasting and how podcasting works and how they're structured and how um, what people like and people don't like. I've told that story before um, but the reason the first part pertains to this episode is the fact that I decided that I want to do a book review. I've done a few book reviews in the past but I felt that for the month of August I want to do a few book reviews get back to my roots because I've done a lot of video games, I've done a lot of movies um, and I've done a lot of nerdy other nerdy things um, but I haven't really spoken about one of my sort of major passions, one of the things that I, I love the most which is reading, um, which one of the funniest things, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about doing the podcast and I actually just admitted which I knew it to myself, I didn't I admitted it out loud, was the fact of I haven't read as much as I usually would since doing the podcast. Like doing a podcast, it, it, it's a lot of fun and I enjoy it, Like, but it's a lot of time. You know, there's a lot of work into it. You know, the the choosing of the, of the topic, like it, like it gets to the point that everywhere that you look is content. So you, you play a video game for the first time or for the millionth time, and you think, oh, I could talk a lot about this content. You know what I mean? You look at a book and you're like, mm, that'd be good. Content. You look at a movie, content. Every, everywhere you look is content, content, content. Eventually it gets so overwhelming that your main, you're so focused on trying to pick one thing to talk about, researching it, writing notes, and then sitting down and recording, and then editing, and then releasing, and hopefully people like it. You know, it's a lot that goes into it. It takes away a lot of other things. So, it is one of those sort of things where it's the fact that I love to read, I just don't get the time. So I mostly spend a majority of my time listening to audiobooks. Um, but I managed to um, squash out a few books this year. Um, well, I say a few. I've read about 108 so far this year. Um, but most, some of them are graphic novels, some of them are audiobooks, and then some of them are physical books as well as ebooks. So it's kind of split between the two because I'm always on my phone or my, my tablet. So it's always one of them things of like, well, if I'm on the tablet, I can read an ebook, you know. So I'm always trying to read as much as possible. The point, the reason behind all this is the fact of just to explain to you what I mean when I say I'm going back to my roots. So I'm going back to something that I haven't done in a long time. And I hope you folks enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, I always talk about the things that I love. I always said since day one of starting doing this was the fact of I would not compromise. I would always talk about things that I love and I'm passionate about. And if people like it, fantastic. And if people don't, I'm still going to talk about it because I like it or I enjoy it. Uh, as long as I'm happy and I'm not hurting anybody's feelings, which I never tried to, then there's no harm in it, really. Um, so... That's me rambling. That's me sort of my long-winded side quest um, storytelling sort of way of explaining what I mean about returning to my roots. Um, I haven't got many books planned, um, but there'll be a few coming in throughout August and hopefully you'll enjoy them. So um, today's episode, I decided that I'm going to talk about Ready Player Two as well as Ready Player One. Um, these are books uh, written by Ernest Cline. If you haven't heard of them, uh, you've most likely seen the movie by Steven Spielberg that came out, I think came out in 2019. Yeah, I think it was like 2019 that movie came out. Um, I was just going to give a... I've, I've recently finished Ready Player 2. I've got mixed feelings about it and I feel like it'd be a good topic to talk about. Um, but firstly, I wanted to do a quick sort of refresher shall we say sort of a um go back and look at the first book the book i actually had a lot of enjoyment on it and i had the most fun with so this episode this topic 
is mostly going to be me talking about um, my my joys of the first book and what I liked about it, um, what it meant to me, what I was doing when I found out about the book and when I read the book, because they sort of one in the same and kind of the reason why I started reading the book in the first place. And then um, I'm going to give my thoughts and feelings on Ready Player Two. There are going to be open spoilers. I will say that uh, because it's kind of difficult to talk about why I dislike this book, the second book mostly, um, without going into spoilers. So if you haven't read Ready Player Two, obviously when we get there, I will um, mention it again. Uh, that there will be spoilers to give people time to kind of jump ship and then come back later when they've read the book. So that's going to be today's topic. Going back to my roots, um, having a look at Ready Player One and Ready Player Two. Might even talk about the movie a bit because I quite enjoyed the movie. And um, yeah, so hopefully you folks enjoy it. Hopefully you folks uh, like it. So without further ado, let's get into Ready Player One, shall we? All right, guys, let's get into it. Right, so Ready Player One. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the first book, the book that started it all. You know what I mean? The book that kind of inspired me uh, in gaming, you know, what gaming could be, what books could be. You know, it's one of them sort of sci-fi novels. Like, I'm not really big into reading modern day sci uh, books. It would be sci-fi fantasy. I don't like reading modern books, mainly because I'm old school. And I am one of these sort of people that goes, well, why should I read a new book when there's so many amazing old books out there that need to be read first before I, you know, go read most modern books? So I'm not a big modern book reader. You know, I, I, I tend to stay clear. But when I heard the synopsis for Ready Player One and a lot of people online, mostly YouTube, were talking about how good this book was, I, you know, I, I had to had to give it a go. Um and one of the I love telling stories. I'm going to tell a bit of a story here. Um, but the thing that drew me to this book the most is that when it came out, if I remember correctly, this I think this book came out. Let me check. I've got the book in my hand here. Let me scroll. Usually, where's the contents page? So this book first came out in 2011, right? I think I got this around 2013, 2014. Um, yeah, I think I got this around about 2014 because that's when I started college. Um, but to tell my, to basically to explain my story, because I love telling my stories, um, is that uh, in 2014, I finished school. So I was, oh, hold on. I think I was about 16 years old. And I've told this story before, so I'm going to be a bit quick with this part of the story and then we'll get into the meaty part of it. Um, it was a six weeks holiday bored out my tree i'd played every video game that i had to complete i'd watched every movie i had to catch up on every tv show i was done with everything in the first week you know that left me then with five weeks of nothing you know and it was lovely it was sunny i could sit outside but like what's the point sitting outside of this if there's nothing to do i'm white as a ghost because i'm ginger so i burn but i tan but you know me and heat just don't go very well so it wouldn't make sense for a ginger person to sit out in the sun for five weeks um i don't think it'd be very you know a good idea anyway <laughs> um so i had a big stack of books in my room and i figured you know why not i've got nothing else to do and i sat and i read this whole stack of books within the five weeks and that kind of sparked my love of reading and that's all she wrote since then really i've just read constantly like i'm never go anywhere without a book i never i'm always got a book in my hand i'm always reading or listen to an audiobook at home and that's why i've managed to i'm like 
I'm one book away from reading 800 books in my life. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm. you can tell that I'm addicted to reading. I, it's one of my biggest hobbies and I, I enjoy it. That's where it started. Um, so after the sixties happened, I started college. When I was in college, I did a level three extended diploma in um, computing because um, I'd already done my level one and two in school. And the teacher had basically said, well, usually if you're coming straight from school, that uh, we usually put you into level two. But because I did ICT in, in my final year at school and got my level three, the, the woman who interviewed me, she was basically like, well, there's no point you doing your level two all over again. You already have it. We'll put you in for the level three, but we'll put you in for the extended diploma. Um, which basically, it's like it's a normal level three. The only difference is that you have two to three extra modules on top um, of the normal sort of uh, level. So I ended up doing that. And I the main idea was that I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something with computers at the time, but I wasn't sure as to what to do. Like one of the upsides of having an IT sort of degree is the fact of when you have it, especially getting it in England, um, you could go anywhere in the world. You could go to Germany, you could go to China, Japan, um, you could go to Spain, Africa, America, um, Canada. You go anywhere, basically. There's me just listing places. But you can literally, if you get a degree in the UK, especially if it's something like computing, they want that all over the world. So, you know, whatever I wanted to do, I could do. Wherever I wanted to go, I could go with this degree. Me being very sort of me and being creative, I was like, well, I want to do either animation or game design. Um, sadly, there was only in level three, there was only like one course that kind of dealt with game design. And if I wanted to do that, I would have had to look into going to university to do it properly, like really focused on it. Um, so um, what I ended up doing, so I did my level three, did through that. It, it was fantastic. I did two years there. Um, I think I was in my first year, though. I think it was my first year, 2015, and um, I remember this is when I think when the book started getting popularity, when Ready Player One was starting to become um, more popular. Like I said, it came out in 2011, but I feel like it started to gain traction as a lot of the YouTubers started to read it and was like, whoa, this is blowing me away. And obviously that grew traction there because that's where I heard about it first was like uh, the early days of IGN and the early days of Rooster Teeth and stuff like that. Um, and Funhouse, they would talk about how good this book is. And obviously me being a young bean and me being into game design and hearing about this book is to do with virtuality and video games and nostalgia, which is all things that I love, as you guys know, listening to this podcast, the Nerdstalgic podcast, you know, you know, kind of on the nose. Um, but it, it just rung so many bells for me. So I remember I asked my mom if she could get it me. Uh, she was very kindly to, she, to get it me, to buy it me. And um, I basically just sunk a lot of my time, which I should have been studying, into reading sort of this book. And it became um, I, I, one of them sort of moments where, like, again, I don't read modern books, but it was one of them books that I just read. It was like it felt old. You know, it felt like it was written during the, you know, the 60s, you know, not 60s, during the 70s and 80s, 90s. You know, it didn't feel modern. It just felt old-fashioned sci-fi it just felt good um and then when you look at ernest klein 
the writer and you find that that he's done movies he did one of my favorite indie movies which don't doesn't get a lot of love it's called fanboys um and the basic idea behind that movie is the fact of uh these lifelong friends been been absolutely over the moon when it comes with star wars they're huge star wars fans but huge star wars nerds uh basically one of their friends um gets cancer it's it's during like the early, the late 90s before Phantom Menace and one of the friends get cancer and the, the idea is that we're going to travel from where we are cross country to the Skywalker Ranch I'm going to break into the Skywalker Ranch and we're going to make sure that you get to see Phantom Menace the newest Star Wars movie um, before he dies it's a really lovely touching silly geeky sort of movie um, fanboys highly recommend it um, it's it, it's 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 got Dan Fogler in it uh, if you're a fan of Dan Fogler from like the Harry Potter movies or uh, Meet the Goldbergs, um, Balls of Fury, he, he, he's a fantastic um, actor. He absolutely hilarious. Always brightens my brightens my day and makes me smile whenever I see him on TV. He does comic books as well. Um, but yeah, he's in it. Absolutely amazing film. Highly recommend that. But like he directed that and he wrote it, and he's done loads of other things. Um, so I knew who the, who the who he was, and then I started reading the book, and I kind of sort of I could see where he was coming from, you know what I mean? Like I could see what he was doing with this book, and it just felt um, amazing, you know. It just felt really, really good. So that's my sort of side story about where it, where I started, I've heard about this book and why I started reading it. Like honestly, when you're studying game design in a college setting, it's just there's there's not many moments in life where you're doing the right thing in your life and then something else happens or something something comes out like a movie or tv show or whatever and that kind of so perfectly intertwines to what you're doing that it just kind of changes your whole perspective of what it is you want to do with your life and that's how i felt with this book was the fact of i'm doing game design i'm doing what i want to do I've, for my whole life, because of my dyslexia and other my learning disabilities, I was told that I couldn't do it. I finally got here. I'm doing my level three extended diploma. Um, I've got amazing friends. I'm doing amazing things. This book comes out, changes my whole perspective of what not just writing can be, but the whole idea of game design and virtuality and how virtuality is basically the future, which then led me to wanting to do virtuality when I went to college. Because when I went to when I went to I mean when I went to university, um, I did four years of uh, game design, specialising in um, virtuality and augmented reality. So it really did shape my future. Like it led me in a d- different direction. Because I was just going to do game design and then maybe just get an IT job, you know, as most people do. But then I was like, well, no, I want to go do. VR. I want to go do what is in this book. I want to be sort of the archetype. I want to be the person who sort of revolutionizes the technology because it's still cutting edge. It's still bleeding edge. It's still relatively new. I wanted to get a degree in that. I want to get a bachelor. Well, I eventually got a bachelor's degree in it. Um, and I want to go do it. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just one of the moments where this book changed my, my life, changed the course and direction of where I was going and where I was heading. Um, I, I just owe it that all that. So I going into this first book, I already had a lot of love. I already had a lot of um, feelings towards it before I even started reading it. And then I read it and it blew me away. And I said, it changed my life. So that's my story about you know my feelings towards this book and how much it means to me. This first book that is Ready Player One, how much the first book means to me. So 
this is basically I'm, at the moment I'm holding the book in my hand sadly you can't see me because I'm not recording this video visually just audibly but I've got the book in my hand and as I do with my game when I when we do the game reviews I always get the book the, the game case in my hand and I talk about how it looks and that sort of thing so I'm gonna try doing that with a book it can't be so different so on the front you've got in big white and orange letters ready player one uh, this was what I'm happy about this edition that I've got was before the TV show, the movie came out. So one thing I hate, and they do it, it always happens. But whenever a TV show that's based off a book or movie comes out, they always republish the book. And then they put a huge, horrible, big emboss sticker thing on the front that goes, oh, you like the book? Oh, then now the, the motion picture's out soon. I'm like, no, fuck off. Go away. Stop ruining my books. You know, so this edition that I've got is the UK edition, um, which I think it's for a lot of people uh, is actually the best version uh, in in terms of design. The American version is very bland. The English version has Wade on the front, and he's walk he's climbing up the stacks. Because in this in this world, if you haven't read the book, um, where Wade lives, he lives in the far future, and the world's kind of gone to pot, gone to shit, climate change, war, uh, that sort of thing. And because there's not a lot of room for people, they live what in, in what's called a stack, which is imagine a giant sort of tower made out of um, oh, what they call now. It's not. I was gonna. I was gonna say scale electrics, but it's the wrong thing. It, oh, Meccano is it Meccano? That that sort of stuff. It's like loads of um, sort of sort of scaffolding holding up basically um, caravans one on top of each other and people live inside these caravans but they're called stacks and that's what's on the front of this book um wade's climbing up uh and uh what else you've got a quote on the front that from the usa today which is enchanting willy wonka meets the matrix i completely agree with that it is like it's like come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination it is it is pure imagination you know what I mean? You go into this book and it's like going into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It also is the fact of, you know, the VRS aspect of it. You're going into the Matrix, going into the virtual world, going into the Oasis, which is in this book. It, it, it just it just works. This book is a book that's made for the modern day. I think it would have done well in the past, but this book is, is one that's made for the modern age. It just works. Flipping the book around to the back, right? So on the back, it says the breakout sensation of the year. Imagine the world at stake, an epic struggle between good and evil, the greatest quest in history, the fate of humanity resting in your hands. Are you ready? Then you've got some more quotes. You've got uh, 2011 was a strong year for science fiction, but one easily the standout work was Ready Player One. That's by the Daily Mail. You got one here by The Guardian. You've got the strength of Klein's first novel, other than its geeky referencing of 1980s pop culture, is the characterization of the candid like Wade and his redemptive quest in both VR and the real world. Uh, then you've got another one by Patrick uh, Ruth Ruff, Ruth. I always butcher his last name. Patrick Ruffus. Uh, this book pleased very geeky, every geeky bone in my geeky body. I felt like it was written just for me. I felt like there's a blurb in here. Because sadly there's no blurb on the back. Ah, here we go. Um, it's the year 2044 and the real world has become an ugly place. We're out of oil. 
we've wrecked the climate, famine, poverty and disease are widespread. Like most of humanity, Wade Watts escapes this depressing reality by spending his waking hours jacked into the Oasis, a sprawling virtual utopia where you can be anything you want to be here, where you can live and play and fall in love on any of 10,000 of the 10,000 planets. There should have been the there. That's my dyslexia acting up. Sorry. Anyway, and like most of humanity, Wade is obsessed by the ultimate lottery ticket that lies concealed within this alternate reality. Oasis founder James Holliday, who dies with no heir, has promised that control of the Oasis and his massive fortune will go to the person who can solve the riddles he has left scattered throughout his creation. For four years, uh, for years, millions have struggled fruitlessly to attain this prize, knowing only that the riddles are based on Holiday's obsession with the 80s pop culture. And then Wade stumbles upon the key to the first puzzle. Suddenly, he finds himself pitted against thousands of competitors in a desperate race to climb the ultimate prize, a chase that soon takes on terrifying real-world dimensions and that will leave both Wade and his world profoundly changed I remember reading that, and it, it, like I said, it, it it blew me away. It it just the idea that again, I, I know I've already said it, but going back to the fact of I'm doing game design, uh, virtuality is a new thing, and we, we talk, uh, when I was in college, even though it was new, we're still talking about it in a hypothetical sort of way. Like it's 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 a technology that's out, but there's not many people or companies doing anything with it, and it, it's still kind of the same now. There's there's, a, there's more companies now than there was when I was in college studying it so the idea that this was still a conceptual thing that we're still talking about and then to kind of read a book where it's 2044 we're in the future it's it's the concept is is now reality and it's more than what we'd ever imagined it kind of blew me away you know and yeah i i just kind of wish that i had a topic in college and in university where i had the opportunity to talk about this book and basically write a paper on it which now thinking back would have been a good idea, a good idea for a paper um, when I was doing my dissertation and all that. But I, I ended up choosing like storytelling in, in, I think for my final paper that I wrote, it was, um, it was, oh, hold on. It was storytelling, narrative storytelling in collectibles in horror games. So the idea of how you get a collectible in a game, specifically horror games and how they sort of tell a story. And uh, I was talking about different ways that like different things in the games can do it, it. I'm butchering it. It's been a while since I've read, I've still got the paper. I've got a copy of it, um, but it's been a while since I, I wrote it and read it. It's not my best work to be honest, um, but I got a decent grade for it. I got a B, you know, can't argue with that. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that's Ready Player One. As I mentioned, I, I this book means a lot to me, you know, and it reads so fantastically. It is a fantastic book. It is Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. Um, it ends so well. The characters, all like, basically, the beginning's amazing. The middle's intense. The end is very much nail biting. And it's it's very it holds you on the edge of your seat. And then when it lets go of you at the very very end, everything just falls into place. Like there's no plot holes. There's no there's nothing that needs to be sort of resolved because everything has been resolved. There's no need for a sequel. It just works fantastically as a standalone book. Yes. When I read it, I was like, I want more, you know, as you do with any book that you enjoy, anything or anything that you enjoy very much. So you're like, I want more. 
I, I don't want this train to stop. I want to keep riding this train forever. Um, but I'll since now coming all the way back because I again I read this 2014 2015. Um, it is now 2022. Uh, I think Ready Player Two came out last year, um, so we, a long way for the for the sequel. Was it worth it? <sighs> well, you've got to listen to part two to find out. Um, no spoilers there. Um, but yeah, so that's that's Ready Player One. That's my thoughts and feelings. Going to go for a quick break now. And then after the break, come back and then we'll dissect um, Ready Player One. Uh, Ready Player Two, I mean. But before I do that, right, if you have me on Twitter, uh, nerdstalgic underscore pod, let me know on your thoughts and feelings um, of Ready Player One. Um, mainly because I don't usually do this, but the reason I'm saying this now is I feel like a lot of people probably haven't read Ready Player 2 yet, and a lot of people are probably thinking about reading it, so I'd rather get this part out first before I get into the spoilers and ruin it for anybody, uh, or anybody jump ship. So, um, if you liked Ready Player 1, or if you read Ready Player 2 and you liked it or you didn't like it, um, let me know on Twitter at nerdstadrick underscore pod your thoughts and feelings there. So, going to take a bit quick break now and then we come back we're going to talk about um ready player two all right then let's get into it shall we right so on to part two so i hope you're rested hope you're all good uh for those of you that haven't jumped ship you still have time now like i said i'm going to talk about ready player two the book um if you haven't read it yet and you want to read it by all means that's fine if you want to jump ship and come back later that's completely fine i understand because i will be talking about spoilers um not loads like not major major spoilers um but you know enough to kind of help you to understand as to why i didn't like it as much and i felt like it was a sequel that wasn't needed um so you still got time to jump ship um if you're still here uh, i'm going to count to five and then just get into it so you've got until five four three two one one and three quarters okay so they're all gone so that just leaves us lot who have uh read the book or either those lot, lot of you that really don't give a shit which is all which is fair as well um i wouldn't blame you for not giving a shit because like the first book was a masterpiece and this book wasn't as good um so ready player two so twice well, before I get into it, I'll just, I'll, I'll, as you can tell, I'm a bit deflated about this book. It, it was a disappointment. But before I get into that part, I'm going to talk about the uh, the cover and the way the book looks. Because uh, that is probably one of the main things that I like about it the most, is just the edition that I have. So again, I've got the UK edition. This one's by Century. The other one was by a company, was by Random House, uh, Arrow Books. Um this one is accompanied by Century. This is a hardback version that I've got, if you can hear it. Look, can you hear that? That's a hardback version that I have. Um, it's really nice. It looks beautiful. It kind of copies the design of the American one because the American one just had like big letters, Ready Player One and then Ernest Cline with an orange background. This one has a black background with pixel stars and in blue letters, in, a, in a, I'm not sure what font it is, um, but in blue letters, it says Ready Player 2, Ernest Cline, international number one best-selling author of Ready Player 1. Which kind of makes me laugh because Ready Player 1 is Ernest Cline's most successful book. But he did write another book called Armada, or Armada I mean, 
um, which if you've watched the and the classic movie, uh, The Last Starfire, which a lot of people haven't watched it, but if you haven't watched The Last Starfire, highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great classic sci-fi film in the vein of Star Wars and, and gaming. It's fantastic. Um, but he wrote a book called Armada. I liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but if you go on Goodreads or you talk to many other people, they just it wasn't enjoyed by a lot. And to us, it's not one of them books that gets talked about enough of his. It's it's kind of Ready Player One and that's it, which is all fair enough because, again, it was his most successful book. And that's the one that people remember the most. They always remember your successes or your failures more than everything else that you do. That's just the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. Um so yeah, so that's the that's the front of the book. The spine is really really nice. It has uh, little circles on it, different color circles. Again, it says Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. On the back, again, no real blurb. It's just accolades, uh, praise for Ready Player One. So USA Today, Chanting, Willy Wonka meets the Matrix, uh, an addictive read, part intergalactic scavenger hunt, part romance and all heart. Basically, these are all things. You know the accolades for the first book. I've already spoke about that one, so we we won't get into all of them. But a lot of sort of accolades there. Uh, and then we open it up, and because because it, it's a hardback and put it's got a slip cover, the blurb is on the inside. One thing I do want to mention though is when you open this book for the first time, and this is what I, I don't know if this is the same for all editions or if this is only just for the hardback edition. But when you open it up for the first time, there's this, there's there's two sections. You've got the the hardback part, and then you've got obviously the paper part. And it says ready level two start and it's kind of it's designed to look like the the classic sort of um uh pixel art sort of games with but level two and you'd have your score in the top left and you'd have your hearts on, on the right or your, your life um really really nicely done like i said this the design of this book and the the, the attention to detail is what i enjoy the most about it the rest is a bit good but we, no, we'll get into it so this is the blurb. This is the description of what you get with this book. So, an unexpected quest, two worlds at stake. Are you ready? Days after winning Oasis, founder James Holiday's contest, Wade Watts makes a discovery that changes everything. Hidden within Holiday's vaults, waiting for his heir to find, lies a technologically technological advancement that will once again change the world and make the Oasis a thousand times more wondrous and attractive than even Wade dreamed possible. With it comes a new riddle and a new quest, a last, the last Easter egg from Holiday, hinting at a mysterious prize and an unexpected, impossibly powerful and dangerous new rival awaits, one who will kill millions to get what he wants. Wade's life and the future of the Oasis are, Oasis are again at stake, but this time the fate of humanity also hangs in the balance Lovingly nostalgic and wildly original, as only Ernest Klein could conceive it, Ready Player Two takes us on another imaginative, fun, action-packed adventure through his beloved virtual universe and jolts us thrillingly into the future once again. So that's the blurb. That's the um, description of the book. On to my thoughts and feelings of this book. Um, it's not bad. I know I'm, I know I... I I know I make it out to seem bad, but it's it's not hype. It, I've mentioned this many times. Hype is a killer. Hype will kill anything. Um, hype killed um, like well, I was going to say cyberpunk, but cyberpunk kind of killed cyberpunk. But the hype for that book didn't help cyberpunk. 
Cyberpunk 2077. You know what I mean? Uh, that game probably would have came out bad, but maybe if the hype wasn't there and people weren't pushing for it to be released, that maybe it would have stayed in the oven a bit longer and would have came out less broken. And it was the same for Halo, uh, Halo Infinite. That game shouldn't have came out when it did, but because there were so many... Well, they you, people say fans. I don't believe they're fans because if you're a fan, you'd rather wait to the game is completed and is out um, first. But people were rushing that game, saying, we want it out now, bring it out now, we've already waited a year, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and because of hype and everything that uh, was around it, the game comes out, it's not a bad game, but like the hype sort of kind of killed it and it's kind of died down now. And now kind of 343 is in kind of um, limp mode of trying to fix the game and add some features that should have been there when it first came out. I've mentioned this before, and I've talked about it many times with, with tons of different topics, but hype kills a lot of things, you know. Uh, and this is the issue with this book, especially for me, was the fact of no sequel ever, no sequel for anything ever needed to happen. You know, any movie, any book, TV show, film, whatever, video game, ne any film or anything like that never needed a sequel, never needed to happen. No matter how many times that you watch a film and go, oh, the sequel was better than the first one. It never needed to happen. It should have been one and done. But because there's money involved and because there's hype and there's enjoyment over what was ever the first thing that came out, sequels happen, you know. Um, but let's be honest with us, no, nothing needs a sequel. But we give things a sequel because we want to see more from these characters in these worlds, right? But some things, in my opinion, shouldn't be sequelized. Like, like, as I mentioned, when I first completed Ready Player One, I wanted more, you know, uh, but I didn't want more from these characters. I felt that these characters' stories had, you know, begin and ended fantastically. I didn't need a continuation. I didn't know what I needed to know what happened next to them. For you know, The way the first book ends is that they all live happily ever after. Um, Wade wins and him and his mates that helped him uh, win the competition. Uh, he splits the fortune. They split the fortune between them. So they're all billionaires. Uh, they split the company between them all. So they all have share in the company of the Oasis. Um, Wade gets with his girlfriend. Um, all the Soto and Etch, they go off and they live happy lives. And overall, it, it just ends nicely for all the characters. You know, they all go off happy lives. The Oasis is saved. Um, the end. It just works, you know. Granted, I wanted more, but I wanted more from other characters, other teams of people, um, you know, other things going on. And then these other characters could have came in as Easter eggs, you know, they could have came in as um, sort of um, cameos, you know, making a, making appearances, that sort of thing, if there was ever to be a sequel. But Ready Player Two is an ex a, a, a carry-on from the first book. It takes the characters from the first one and then carries on their story. And when I first heard that, I was I was excited because, like I said, I wanted a sequel. But I was a bit sort of like on the fence. Like, mm, I don't know if I need to know any more about these characters. Like, their story ended so perfectly. And then when you get to reading this book, I was just disheartened of what happened to the characters. Like, this book picks up as soon as the last book ended. It carries on almost straight away, probably like a week or two afterwards, um, the first book ended. And um, you have Wade, who is now, like I said, a billionaire living in Holiday's old house. Uh, he also has the robes of Anorak, which are basically magic robes that he can wear 
in the Oasis in virtuality that gives him basically supreme um, alpha and omega sort of access. He can't be killed. He can teleport anywhere. He can basically do anything he wants. He has complete control of the Oasis. And it's kind of strange because reading the first book and I've, I've read it twice and I've, I've lent it out to friends and they've all enjoyed it. You know, I know these characters quite well. I know their, their, it sounds quite weird, but I know their thoughts, their feelings, you know, how they act and how they feel. Then when I read this book, the characters just didn't feel how they, how they did in the first book. Like, I understand money. Money changes people. No matter how strong-willed you are, money changes a lot of people. Now, there are some people out there who money doesn't change, who actually money isn't a thing. Like, yeah, I've got it, but like it's, it's not something that really uh, matters to me. You know, but for some people, it does change them. And I understand in the in the terms of Wade, where he like he 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 had poverty. He didn't have nothing. He had no money. Then he won the he won sort of the um, quest, and now he's a billionaire, and he owns one of the biggest sort of profitable company in human history. Um, and I get it. You know that whole that power, not having any of it. You know might change you but it also in my feelings it felt like it might it might make him more humble but he doesn't you know wade for wade for the first part of this book is a dick he's a knobhead he is he's horrible he's horrible to his girlfriend who eventually leaves him you know he's horrible to his mates he basically uh, misuses his power and basically pervs like i say pervs when i say perv i don't mean sort of perving i just mean he he, he kind of looks when he shouldn't look at other people's conversations because one of the things that the the robes of anorak does is that it allows you to join to be around other people be invisible undetectable so no one knows that you're there you know you can spy on other people's private conversations and chat threads um that sort of thing you know and he was using it he, he was doing that he was perving on his on his, on his ex uh, on, on other people in the oasis he was trolling people he was basically he turned into a giant knobhead right and i was reading i was like this is not how i imagine wade to be you know this is not how i this is not how the way that i know from the first book would act you know and it, it, it was his mates as well the only person who who remained the same was it was um, artemis which was uh, wade's girlfriend she was completely the same. She never changed. She was the same character from the first book, you know. Um, but, you know, Soto and Etch, they're all knobheads. You know, again, they had money. It changed them. They basically completely ignored Wade. They just no, no longer spoke to him. Um, and they were all off doing whatever they were doing and wasting their money and blah, 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 all that. And then him, like Wade and his other mate, were like building a spaceship just because the world's falling to pieces. So they decided to build a spaceship, back it up with all sort of human history and with virtuality sort of simulation, like a copy of the Oasis, so that, you know, if the world was to go to pot, they could jump ship into the spaceship and leave, but still be in the Oasis, right? It, it completely messed up, completely, completely sort of messed up. And I'm like, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, this is not what any of these characters would do. None of these characters would act this way. Why are they all being complete and utter knobheads? You know, I get it. Money changes you, but I just don't understand. Like these, char these characters, I felt had more resolve, were stronger willed than that. You know, and like I said, Artemis was the only one that really sort of um, stayed the same. You know, 
um, that she never let the money change. Actually, she used the money to try to help the world. Because as I mentioned, the world is going to part. There's poverty everywhere. There's wars, there's crime, there's famine. Climate change is completely taken over. The world is shit. So in this world, people escape the real world to the oasis because the real world is so bad. Um, so Artemis tries to use her billions and her billions to make the world a better place. And she tries to kind of encourage her other sort of fellow billionaires to do the same. None of them want to. They just be like, oh, but, but you know, but we, we put like, we shut the oasis down for one day, one to two days every week. You know, um, we've limited this amount of time and we've improved this. So, uh, you know, and she, yeah, she's like, yeah, but, you, but you made a spaceship to leave this planet. Like, it's not a spaceship. It's not an arc that's going to take all of us. It's just you rich fuckers. You know what I mean? Um, and she really hates them. And she kind of like, you know what? Especially Wade. She's like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you. That's it. I'm gone. I'm not going to talk to any of you. And she goes. And then Wade, basically, he discovers um, while moping around in his sort of castle. Because in the Oasis, he gets given the castle of James Holiday, which is kind of like a only he can go into this castle only he can go into this in, into this one sacred room only he has access to it only the person who has access to the robes of anorak can get in to this place so he's moping around his little office uh he finds an easter egg uh the easter egg that he won he's playing with his hands turns it around and finds that there was an inscription that wasn't there originally uh, when he first won it and basically the inscription basically tells him to go to this vault for, and type in this code in the main sort of real world headquarters for the um, Oasis. So he, he jumps out, goes down, goes into this vault, finds this new headset, basically realizes that this new headset's called the O&I and that it's a kind of like, um, I don't know if you, anybody's heard about it, but uh, Elon Musk, I know somehow I've got to Elon Musk, but bear with me, please. But Elon Musk in the real world, he is trying to create a technology called he calls Neuralink. And the basic idea be between Neuralink is that um, you put loads of probes or stuff into your head. This is what the concept is at the moment. But you put a lot of probes in that um, onto your head and it takes a scan of your brain and then it will allow you to talk um, kind of telepathically from person to person, but also it will allow you to download data off the internet so that you'd never need to study because you're just a genius because you download it, it's really weird and eventually the idea behind that technology is that it's not a headset it's like a chip that you stick into your brain and that will make you super intelligent because you can access the internet using this chip and kind of like very cyberpunky that's kind of what this ONI is the only difference is a headset it's a headset attachment that goes onto the oasis headset and what it does is that once you put it on it clamps onto your head and you have about 12 hours of access but what it allows you to do because it taps into your brain uh, it, it allows you to touch and feel and taste in the oasis you know if you get hit if you get shot for example in the oasis you can feel the bullet wound and you can actually generally feel it and it hurts you know because you, the obviously the way the human obviously we don't know how the human brain works but the idea behind the human brain is the fact of whenever you cut yourself or burn yourself through your nervous system so if you burn your hand a quick jolt goes up to your brain basically tells your brain like oh god you know you've hurt yourself and then there's a quick sort of message gets sent from the brain down to your hand basically to tell you to you know move your hand you know stop it you're going to burn yourself 
and that all happens in in the blink of an eye in a split second you like you don't even realize it's bam bam you know ow that hurt but straight away there was a message um and it's that sort of idea of you know you can touch and feel things but also you can taste things in the oasis because somehow in the brain it taps into that one part of the brain that deals with taste that deals with how you the, the, the way things feel in your mouth and that sort of thing so that whole concept of of that sort of thing was interesting and i was interested to see how it would be used it doesn't get used that much like it's kind of like a gimmick it's like oh it's this new technology you can now feel things and then it they this is where again where like the main characters apart from artemis are being dicks because when he finds his technology he basically puts it on and a video gets played by uh, james holiday basically saying like this is my last big invention um but when i was alive i wasn't sure if this technology should be released or not so i i leave it to my heir to basically figure out if or not i should release it um onto the world so then sort of wade goes back to his mates basically says shall we release it they all go yeah we should release it artemis is like no me reading the book i'm like yeah no like i understand the benefits this might give to a lot of people um but at the same stage i don't feel like like the world's already burning as it is so if you give them this where it's like gives them more reason to not give a shit about the world and more reason to hide away into a computer you know um maybe not release it but you know it was three to one nobody listened to artemis they released the technology bada bing bada boom the story basically begins from there really you you do get the beginning of the book like i said where you you get a lot of moping for a good few chapters of just wade feeling sorry for himself being a knob trolling people um trying to figure out you know he, like he, he hates himself as well because what he did with artemis but he he's also very alone but he also kind of hates himself more because he can't figure out the riddle he can't figure out sort of how to crack this new easter egg because um, one of the things with this new headset was the fact of if you release it, um, a new Easter egg will, would sort of happen. And it was the siren soul. And the idea was is that you get different seven different riddles, kind of a linking towards the whole idea of Harry Potter, where you get like um, the Horcrux and um, Voldemort separates his soul seven times. It's that idea of like a, to put a soul together. You need seven different parts of a soul, kind of like a hint towards Harry Potter. Not on, it never sort of mentions it, but I was like, yeah, this is a Harry Potter reference. Um, but Wade kind of hates himself because he can't figure it out, um, and he's he, just, he becomes more and more like knobbish and more sort of rich and very much Scrooge McDuck. Um, but like the story goes on from there, uh, and the middle of the story, it's it just. It just the beginning was so much of a ball lake that by the time I got to the middle that I wasn't interested in a lot of what was going on. You know, I, I there was a section like I'm not a big fan of Prince. I like Prince, but I'm not a diehard Prince fan. And there's a whole sort of chapter de dedicated to Prince because they go to a world dedicated to Prince and they have like a legendary sort of like guitar battle between him and the revolution um, and, and Prince. And it's it's an interesting, but like I was reading it, I'm like, by this stage, I was so tired and I was kind of bored and um, I just skimmed through a lot of it. Um, and that was, that's the problem. Like first impressions to anything is key. If you can't hook the reader 
at the beginning if you can't hook the viewer or the gamer at the beginning it's kind of hard to get somebody hooked in the middle or to the end you know so when everything was coming to a close towards the end i just wanted it to end like, i didn't want it them to, it wasn't the fact of oh, i want them to win i want them to save the day it was more just the fact of okay we're at the end now i don't really sort of care you know i just want it to end so i can read something else you know um like the villain in it is kind of interesting the villain is a um digital copy of um james holiday with all holidays menu uh, memories um that is basically it's like a rogue ai that basically um is like i want you to get all the siren souls um so that uh, i can have somebody who's like me um and i won't be alone um but basically i have everybody who has an OBNI system who has basically one of them sort of new headsets um, which is most people in the oasis everybody has one because uh, wade made them dirt cheap so everybody could experience it that um he's basically did a new update saying everybody who who puts one on now is locked in and that if after the 12 if you don't solve this puzzle within 12 hours um everybody is going to have synaptic 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 basically a brain overload where basically your brain goes over clock and you go into a coma and die right it's it, you you get major major headaches and, and fatigue and eventually your brain gets so sort of um tired that you go into a coma and you you, you die basically uh, you have like a seizure sort of thing um and that was the threat it was like if you don't solve this puzzle um these these different sort of riddles and get me the siren soul before 12 hours is up everybody in the world who's who's logged in is gonna die including you um and that what that kind of means like it's an interesting sort of premise you know it, it raises the stakes but what that means for the book is then that the the one of the things that i loved about the first book was the fact of you could tell there was time passing and that it took wade a while on his own as well as with some friends to kind of solve the puzzle to to solve the easter eggs to solve the riddles to figure out where the easter eggs were hiding and how to solve the easter eggs and how to win them the time was being passed and the book felt like it take it had you know it taken a while to get to it you know he'd earned it you know what i mean he'd worked to earn it but in this book because you have the whole 12 hours to kind of solve the riddle that is kind of the fact of it's rushed it's like oh we, we did this one riddle uh now we're gonna do this next riddle uh and so just sort of ironically you know one person that i'm friends with knows everything about this one place that we're going to i've got one friend that's a really big major prince fan and knows everything and um can easily help me win this and i get it it's a whole idea of friendship and the whole idea that you know uh if you work together you can get it done but it's, it's also the fact of i felt rushed i felt like we're going from one section to another oh let we found another piece of the riddle we found another shard okay on to the next one okay on to the next one there was no there was no time to rest there's no time to breathe and for a lot of people that's great like it constantly like the, the story's constantly going but for me it was the fact of i want them to at least struggle i want some at least uh, some strife i want some moments of you know self-doubt you know a bit like you know uh, that problem solving trying to figure it out not just oh i know the answer I, okay you know all that build-up you know you could have at least done a bit of build-up where you tried to plan it and they do for the he does a little bit ernest klein he does for a little bit 
but not enough. You know, you don't get enough of a build-up. It's just the fact of, um, it could be this. No, it could be this. What about this? That's it. That's the one. Okay, we're going to this planet, and then we solve it, and done. You know, um, there were a few sort of cool sort of uh, uh, references. There was a reference to the Silmarillion. There was a whole sort of chapter on the Silmarillion that I really, really liked because a big Lord of the Rings fan, a big um, Middle Earth fan. I've read the Silmarillion. I've read a lot of the uh, Tolkien books that deal with Middle Earth, the fall of Numenor, um, uh, Brevary and Eluthien, the children of Hurin. I've read them all. I understand the story. Um, and so it was just fun when they were talking about the different ages. You've got the, the first age, which is which is elves and the Numenorians, And then you've got the second age, which is men, dwarves and Balrogs and um, the rise of, of Sauron. And then you've got the third age, which is hobbits and Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit that sort of thing um and i like i like that you know that was was fun for me i i i enjoyed that chapter because i'm a lord of the rings fan uh there were other sort of ones as well other sort of references i, I felt like um, um captain america in the event in the first avengers movie where he's kind of sitting there going oh that reference i, I get that reference yeah it, you know um i like so there were moments like that and i like those sort of moments but they were again they were few and far between and again the beginning set put me in such a bad sort of left such a bad taste in my mouth that i just didn't enjoy the characters as much and i was sitting there reading this going this didn't need to be written this sequel wasn't needed it didn't have to be written it shouldn't have been written and i come back to what i said at at the beginning of this uh, part where i said no sequel in history of ever ever needed to be made we love our sequels we do you know but it didn't need to you know, I love the MCU to bits. I love the way the MCU is now. But we could have just had Iron Man. And that's it. And Iron Man 1 would have been a fantastic standalone superhero movie. You know. But no, we did a sequel. You know, we did more movies. And we did Iron Man 2, which I quite liked Iron Man 2. A lot of people don't. I quite liked Iron Man 2. Um, but the point is I'm trying to make is the fact of... you, No sequel is ever needed. We just do them because we like to do them. We do them because of money. We do them because we enjoy them. We do them because we want to see more from these characters in these worlds. But this is one of the moments where this didn't need to be written. And if it was written, it didn't need to ha- need to f- feature the main characters from the first book. Because their story in the first book ended so perfectly, as I mentioned, that honestly I would have been happy if we never saw them again ever. It wouldn't have bothered me because their stories ended so well. It all ended happily. And it's the same with this book. At the end of this book, it ends, it's a happy ending. You know, it ends the, almost the exact same. You know, Wade and Artemis get back together again. Um, Etch is basically doing what Etch was doing at the end of the first the first book, which is going off living life. Um, and the only difference is that um, I think Wade gets married to Artemis, which they weren't about doing it anyway. Uh, and they end up having a kid on the way. And I think um, Soto, he ends up having a kid as well. Um, that's the only real difference. But apart from that, they all end happily. The The book ends the same way the first book ended. You know, the only difference in this book is the fact of the spaceship that they was building. They basically set it off into space with all human history, with some embryos and um, uh, the, AI, the AI constructions of um, Og, Ogden Morrowind. Uh, who was James Holiday's friend, and um, Kira, uh, Og's wife, 
uh, who was the siren that you had to, her soul you had to put together made her. Uh, and then the ship went off into space. And that was it. You know, um, you know that that's the end of the book. And I was just like, you better not make a Ready Player Free. And if you do make a Ready Player Free, I want other characters. I don't want these characters anymore. Like, I want their characters to end. I want to hear about other stories in the Oasis. I want to hear about other people in the Oasis. I want to hear um, other, uh, more things about how the real world is, you know, how the real world is affected by the choices of these characters, you know. Um, yeah, it's just not as good as the first book. Like, it never needed, it shouldn't have been written. Um, I wanted it. I got it. Wasn't happy with it. Again, hype just kills it. I was hyped. A lot of people, if you look on Goodreads, um, and you look at the rating compared to this one, and, and um, uh, actually, I can get it on my tablet. Let me get my tablet up. So if you look at the rating between um, Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, it's, it's incredibly low. Um, it's embarrassingly low, to be honest. Like, um, and I don't, and I, I understand why, you know, I, I, when I first read the book and I had other friends who'd read it before me because I got it, I got it late. And obviously I, I read it late. I didn't read it when it first came out. Um, I quite, I finished it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I had a lot of friends who'd read it and they were like, oh, dude, I didn't like it. It didn't sit well with me. It wasn't that good. Um, and I generally, I can understand. Now I've read it. I can understand why, because it's a fact of you read the first book and you you get blown away by the first book, then you read this book and it's like, Ugh. so I've got it up here on my tablet. So Ready Player One, it's got out of one one million thirty one thousand two hundred and twenty three ratings, it's got a score of four point twenty four, which is incredible. You know, it's a really good score, right? Ready Player Two. This is not the amount. This is the amount of people on Goodreads. This is not the amount of people who read it and bought it overall, right? So it's just this is the people that that have read it and have added it to their Goodreads and said they've read it, right? So for Ready Player Two, one hundred and twenty thousand. So we haven't even reached the million part yet. One hundred twenty thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven ratings with a score of three point forty-three, right? Now, if we scroll down to the rating details, only 16% of people that read this book gave it a five star. 32%, right, gave it a four. 33%, which is me, I, I gave it three stars. 13% gave it two, and only 4% gave it one. Right, now if we go back to Ready Player One and we look at the uh, data there, the ratings data, it's completely different, right? So 49% of people that read this book, right, gave it five stars. 31% gave it four. 12% gave it three. 3% only gave it two. And only 1% of people gave it a one star, right? I gave it a five star. I still stand by that five star. I still like, you know, usually you read a book and you loved it. And then you come back sometime later and you realize, oh, it's not as good as I remember. And you, you decide if you should change your sort of rating or your review. Um, but this is one of them sort of times where I stand by this book. I stand by how good the first book was. But Ready Player Two was just bleh. It, it just wasn't that good. It's a free star. It's still a good book. It's still 
at times well written. Um, it's not meh, you know. It 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 is meh, but like I wouldn't rate it as a meh book. A meh to, like one star is is shit. Like it's not worth it. Two stars is meh. So it's like it's meh. You know. You know. You, you'll forget about it. Um, three stars is good. It's just a good book. That's it. There's nothing more or less. It's just good. Um, four stars is great. So any book that's four stars is a great book. Loved it. It was you know fantastic. I enjoyed it. Um, and five stars is excellent. You know, life changing, out of this world, blow my head off. Wow. You know, um, and this book is just good. There's nothing else to say about it. Otherwise, it's good, but it's not great. That's the basis of it. Um, and I wish it was. I wish it was just as good. And I wish it was everything that I hoped it would be. Um, but sadly, it isn't. And it, it, it all falls down to how bad that beginning is. It, the beginning is so bad that it put a bad taste in my mouth that I couldn't enjoy the rest of it. The the middle bit is somewhat okay and like the the the, the, the bits that, that that Ernest Clyde talks about and deals with somewhat interesting with the old O and I and like whenever um Wade gets one of the crystals, he then inherits one of the memories of the uh, lady whose soul he's putting together, uh, Kira. Um that's an interesting concept and the and uh, the things that they deal with and some of the references are cool but overall I, it just lost me it lost me at the beginning and it couldn't get me back for the end sadly um, but yeah so that's Ready Player 2 uh, I'm not that sold on it I did miss a few things out um, but there's not really much to say about it like I said it's rushed as soon as you get on to the whole sort of oh you've got 12 hours to solve this riddle or everybody in this world dies including yourself um the, the book just goes on full steam ahead and rushes to the end. And by the time you get to the end, you have an epic battle, which is pretty epic. There's a huge battle at the end, which is really epic more. Um, but then it's just the fact of, okay, ending happened. And then it's just sort of a repeat of the end of the first book with a few differences. And then that's it. I've just sat there and read upwards of, hold on, upwards of 300 and... 66 pages for that you know it, it's just one of them where books are like i could have been reading something else um but yeah so that's really played too nothing much more to say it was a bummer but it is what it is so i'm going to end it quite nicely now um i know i i know i haven't mentioned the movie um but as i was sort of in in the break i basically figured like i there's not really much to say about the film other than uh it was a good film I enjoyed it. It was a good um, sort of uh, retelling of the book. Obviously, they made some changes and they added some scenes that went into the book. My favourite being The Shining, when they go into The Shining. That's quite good, how they reenacted that. Really funny, really great. Um, and also the whole, um, at the end, where they have that big battle. And Etch basically pulls out um, one of her sort of artefacts, which was Chucky. And it's, oh my God, was that fucking Chucky? And then she just picks Chucky and throws him at somebody and Chucky stabs somebody. It just made me laugh. Um, but there's not much to say about the movie other than it's a good film. Um, it's not as good as the book, but there's not many book to movie, uh, movie to, bleh, uh, from book to film sort of tie-ins that are, some are, but some aren't. Um, but yeah, so that's everything. That is all she wrote. Um and off to the end, shall we? Because obviously I need a break because I'm starting to get a headache now talking about this book. And I need a quick break before we end off quite nicely. So let's go to the end, shall we?
and that is all she wrote. Her boat is sailed. Uh, she got to port and she smoked a big c cigar and the fat lady stopped singing and she finished. Um, I really need to find a new way to end each section, don't I? Um, I'm really bad at this at these endings. But, you know, that's not the point. You know, what did you think of, not to stop, not of my endings, but what did you think of Ready Player One? What did you think of Ready Player Two? What did you think of the movie Ready Player One? Obviously, let me know on Twitter. Um, I know they're going to make a sequel. They're going to make a movie. I, I, if I remember correctly, when the first, when the rights for the first book film was being written up, when it came out, I do remember reading an article um, that said that they'd already bought the movie rights to the second book. That this is before the second book was written. This is when kind of Ernest Klein said that he was going to write a second book. Now, my question is, did he write a second book because of the money, of the fact of you know? like he he didn't have an idea or he wasn't going to make a sequel and then the movie for the first book came out and sort of all the people at the studio heads was like what well, we'll pay you say i don't know the money i don't know how much money it was but let's sort of throw a bit of money out let's say we're going to pay you half a half a, half a bit half a billion you know so we're going to give you 500 million dollars right for the rights to ready player one and a potential sequel ready player two right We'll do it right now. We'll sign the contract. You know, are you interested? You know, was it the fact of, you know, okay, we'll pay these loads of money to do it. And he was like, well, you know, I'll write a sequel, I guess, you know. Um, and that's the kind of that gets us, that makes me think in, in terms of this book is the way it feels is the fact of is, would this book, was this book written because of the money or was it written because he wanted to write it? Um, I don't know. But there is going to be a Ready Player Two movie um, I don't know as to when they'll get around to doing it. I do hope, because like, they, they made changes to Ready Player One, the first book, and the changes they made weren't really big substantial changes. It was just a few sort of added scenes to kind of... Um, they kind of changed certain scenes around to make it a little bit more fun in a in a movie sense, um, which, I, which makes sense. But I just kind of feel and hope that if they do make a movie of the second book, that they, they fix the, the beginning. They fix the character basically being a knob. And they fix all the other characters being knobs. Like, they can have him being somewhat sort of brooding because, again, you're rich, you're lonely. You, you could do that. Just take the knobbish side out of it, you know? But it does make me sit and think the fact of, you know, did he write this book because he was given loads of money to write it? You know, oh, we, we, need, a, uh, we need a sequel because the first movie made so-and-so amount of money. We need a sequel. Um, we'll pay you to write a new book, because we can't make a sequel without a new book. So we'll pay you to write a new book, and then we'll basically copy that book into a movie. You know, maybe. Because there are a lot of moments in this book where it feels like that would look good on film. That would look... that I would want to see that. You know, like the Prince thing. Even though I'm not a big Prince fan, and I skimmed a lot of it, you know, seeing the whole sort of printing again, I don't know how they will get around to doing it because again, that that legally to get all them diff those rights, all the different songs, and get the rights to Prince and get rights to the Prince symbol and the Revolution and all that. I don't know how they would get around it, but like it, it would be an interesting and fantastical thing to see on screen, and that's what it feels like to me. Is the fact of did he sort of 
get coerced into doing it for money. I don't know. I'm I like no. This is all just my theory. None of it was written down or anything like that. So I've got to kind of you know cover myself for legal reasons. Um, but yeah, it it just interests me. But it is what it is. It's out now. I've read it, and I don't need to read uh, it anymore. Um, but yeah, so let me know on Twitter at nerdstagic underscore pod. Uh, what you thought, what your thoughts and feelings. Do you like the first book? Uh, have you read the second book? I would recommend if you if you love the first book, don't read the sequel because it will it might ruin it for you. Um, it hasn't for me. But I have a feeling this might ruin the series for a lot of people. Just read the first book. The first book's amazing. Don't worry about the sequel. It's not needed. It's it 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 just you know. Yeah, it's just not needed at all. Um, so yeah, let me know on Twitter and nerdstagic underscore pod. Um, also, you can find this podcast on Spotify. You can find it on Anchor, on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcasts. Also, I want to say thank you to World of Books for sponsoring uh, this episode and sponsoring the show. Again, don't forget to use my code NERDY10 at checkout to save yourself 10% off on all your orders um, and let them know that I sent you because they're fantastic and I love them and I want to do more things with them in the future. Um, and if one big important, this is a big important thing, but if you listen to this on Spotify, don't forget to rate um, write my podcast on there. If you go onto my profile on Spotify, you will find um, underneath my uh, banner icon, you will find a star rating. If you click on that, it will give you an option between five stars and one star. Five stars being the best thing you heard in your life. One star being Bogons doing poetry, the worst thing you ever heard ever. Um, so you choose one to five stars, whatever you feel like is fair. That really, really helps me out because it pulls me up the algorithm the more sort of star ratings i get the higher i go up and the more people will see my show so all well and good um also i'm on youtube if you type if you go into youtube and type in the nerd stature podcast you'll find my uh flaming face on there as of recording this i i've been a bit sort of lazy and i haven't uploaded any older ep any more older episodes onto there as of yet um but hoping to do that sometime this week fingers crossed um so still, you know, check out the YouTube, uh, subscribe, like and all that. Share with your friends, get the word out. Um, it's just, I mainly did just to make the show more accessible. You know, I just want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to, I know it sounds a bit big headed, but it just gives everybody the opportunity to hear my voice and to hear what I'm talking about and to be more accessible. So uh, make sure to check out the Nerd Sagit podcast on YouTube. Um, and that's that's that is that is all she wrote. That is everything. So um, as always, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hope you enjoyed it again, as always. And I am I have been your host, Luke. And thank you once again for listening to the Nerd Stagic podcast with me. All right, guys. Cheerio.